So we'll be in James 1, we'll be starting in verse 17, um, and I'll go ahead and start reading in just a second. But just want to open us up with a little, um, this is kind of the reason why I've come to this passage. I was thinking about movies this last uh, week, and I have interesting taste in movies. So I was thinking about Lawrence of Arabia, which is a very, very, very long very classic movie. It's supposed to be very good, but just buckle up. It's one of those ones that's so long. Back in my day, we used to get them on the two VHSs, not the one VHS, right? It has an intermission in the middle for when you need to use the restroom and get some popcorn. Um, so it's a very long movie, but it's, it's good. I recommend it. And there's a really classic scene in that movie that I enjoy. It's nothing in the scene is important to what we're going to talk about today except this one thing. So you don't need to know that it's these two guys are trying to negotiate some important historical thing that I don't care about for today. Um, but in the film Lawrence of Arabia, um, he challenges a, an Arab leader named Abu Tayy, which I probably did not pronounce correctly, and he says that uh, this guy is, is corrupt because he's taking money from the Turks, and again, details, we don't care about them. This is the guy, that's not actually the guy, that's an actor that I don't remember his name. Um, thank you, I appreciate that. And uh, this, this, this sheikh, Abu Tayy, is offended that he's being accused of being corrupt. And, and as a leader, it's really important that he establishes, no, that's not who he is. He's not taking things for himself. And he goes on this kind of rant that has this classic line in it that I think is one of the most excellent lessons I've learned in a long time for fathers. He ends his statement of who he is and the things he's done. He says, the Turks pay me a golden treasure, yet I am poor because I am a river to my people. And that's kind of his mic drop line. He says, that's who I am. I'm a river to my people. Well, for Father's Day, I want to encourage us dads, and I also want to encourage all of us as a church, that this is a vision of how we can be like our Father in Heaven. We're going to read in James, our Father in Heaven who brings life and light to us. He builds us up in Jesus. That's who He is. He, he's a giver of gifts, the Bible tells us. And I want to encourage us, not, you know, because it's easy on Father's Day, I don't want to just, oh, dads, you're all so great and you're doing so wonderful. But I want to encourage us that God is great. And that God can help us to be like Him as we try and be the fathers that we're supposed to be. I want us to remind ourselves of who our Father is as we were singing today. And then let love for Him fill our hearts so that we can love our families well. So let's turn to, to James chapter 1. And I'll read verses 17 through 18 to start. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So this is the book of James, and this is kind of in the broader picture of James. He's kind of setting up some things where he's going to begin to give them some really tough instruction. He's going to say, listen, you need to do this and not do that. And the book of James is very practical. It's all pretty intense stuff. I think that seems like that was James' character. But before he does that, he wants to set up who God is so that they can be looking correctly at God. And that's the reason why they're going to be doing these things he's going to be instructing them. So he talks about God's character. And the thing that he wants them to know about God's character is that it's in God's character to give us good and perfect gifts. And he says it really specifically. If you look at the Greek, that's not just a poetic way to put it that we have. It says every good gift and every perfect gift, like two different things. And that's God, who God is. He gives us, it says in James, the, all the wonderful things of life, right? The good gifts, the things that are just, wow, I, I didn't need to have that, but it's great that I do have it. Friendship and love and a home and things that we have that we can enjoy and, and just the blessings of being in the world, those are gifts from God. 
And it's important that we remember that, that God's happy to do that. God loves when we enjoy the things that he's given us to enjoy because he's a good father and that's in his character. But then it says he also gives us the perfect gifts, which I think we, I don't think it's stretching the point to see that those are kind of different things. The perfect gifts are things like his salvation and sanctification and glorification that God is giving to us. It's even better than, yes, there's wonderful things in the world that everybody experiences. Even if they don't know God, the Bible says he lets rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. But the perfect gifts that we get to have in God are even, even better than those things, of course. And so all this happens because it's God's delight to shower us with these things. It's in his unchanging character to be delighted by doing that. That's who God is. James is describing, say, who God is is that he loves to do these things. It makes him happy and joyful to bless his kids. And we can know this for sure because the Bible reveals God's character to us. God is knowable. And it says it's of his own will that he does it, right? Nobody's there telling God, he ha- oh, I guess I have to do this because, you know, I'm, I'm a father and stuff. So this is what I have to do, right? No, that's not who he is. And we can trust that he's going to continue to do this because it says there's no variation or shadow due to change. We don't have to worry that one day we're going to wake up and God's going to say, you know what, this whole good gift thing, I'm over it. I've had enough time with that. Now we're going to try something different, right? God is not like Zeus, right, where it's like, oh, I don't know, today, lightning, right? That's not who God is. We don't have to worry about that. He's not a liar. He's, God isn't always, he's, he's far beyond us, so we couldn't, we're not going to be arrogant and say, oh, I, I totally get God, I understand it all. No, you have a small human brain. But God has revealed things to you that are real and true, and you can know, and one of them is these things about his character. He's not a liar, and he's not some unknowable, you know, spiritual force. I don't know, we'll never really know who God is. No, we, we know some things about God, for sure. And this is a thing that God chose to reveal to us. He, God reveals himself to us as a father right? It says he's the father of lights. He chose that phrase specifically. And if that's true, then as dads, right, on Father's Day, right, where it seems like, for me anyway, Father's Day is one of those days where I, we come around every year and I say, okay, how, how are we doing? Let's check in. As, as a dad, how, am, I, am I doing a good job? And that can be a big burden for dads, I think. Maybe it's just me, right? Of you thinking, okay, here I am. I've got all these responsibilities. Am I doing this at all well? Like, is, are we doing okay, right? And how wonderful that God hasn't left us to just kind of do that on our own, right? God didn't say, okay, I've taken care of this whole salvation bit. You figure out the father bit. Good luck, right? But he, said, he sets himself up and says, no, no, I'm an example. You can, you can copy me and emulate me. If God is a perfect father, then if we need advice on how to be a father, we can look to God and we'll know that he'll, if we try and copy him the best we can, obviously through the power of his Holy Spirit, we're going to be doing an okay job. And we see throughout scripture that this is who God is. Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then in the New Testament, Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus is kind of pointing out to people a little bit that, that, you know, he says, hey, listen, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Talking about gifts that the Lord gives us, one of the ultimate gifts to us, right? We get the Holy Spirit from God because he loves to do that, right? And Jesus is even kind of saying, guys, like, you're not even that great at this. And you give your kids stuff, right? So if, if you think you can do that and you can manage that, then surely God is a giver of good gifts. So as we continue through the passage in James, we're going to apply everything that we read here specifically towards fatherhood because it's Father's Day. Just like on Mother's Day, we said a lot of things that are broad. They apply to all Christians, but it's Mother's Day, so it's special for moms. But, of course, everything we're going to say today, listen, 
All this is going to apply to the way we should all be serving each other in the family, obviously, right? It's going to apply to the way we should serve each other in the body of Christ, whether we're leading or we're following or whatever. But it's Father's Day, and so specifically, we're going to be able to look at these things that James says from the perspective of, okay, how can this teach us what we should be doing as dads? Thankfully, we don't have to wonder about that. We look to the Lord, and as the the Lord is our leader, he's our father, he he kind of uses all this language about who he is, talks about the bridegroom, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. We can see that our job as a leader is to make the life of those around us good and to provide joy and blessing to them. That's one of the primary jobs that we have. That's why I love that quote, I'm a river to my people, right? It's just a little bit of a motto that can get you, hey, am I I providing all of these good things to, to my folks? Is that what I'm doing? In our family, our job is to bring good things and perfect things into the lives of our wife and our children. Our goal is to make their life beautiful, to fill it with God's blessings, and to make sure that they are connected to him in a loving relationship. It's not that many things, really, honestly. If you can take care of those things, there's a lot of other stuff that you can be doing badly (laughs) or kind of not getting quite right, and you'll be doing okay. And like I said, the two things, the good gifts of God's world, are we filling our family with joy and peace and abundance the best that we can, right? Abundance is not necessarily wealth. Abundance is what is our attitude towards the things that God has given us, right? You could have abundance whether you had a little or a lot. Um, But either way, are you, are you, providing those things out of a spirit of joy and saying, look, this is what we've got and we're going to enjoy it the best that we can. Are you feeling, I mean, and even guys, fun is okay, <laughs> right? Are you, are, you, are you bringing into your home an atmosphere where you're making sure that the people around you, they're not saying, uh-oh, dad's home from work, right? But you're, but you're encouraging them and you're filling their life with good things. And then the perfect gifts are you giving them God's word and his salvation and his grace and sanctification? Are you providing all those things to him, whether it's through teaching his word or encouraging them as you walk that out as an example, right? And what I love about all these things is, of course, just like, just like we said on Mother's Day, God always, you know, he makes our creation. When he started out, creation was good, right? He filled it. And we can even kind of take a clue from that as to what we're supposed to be like as dads. Did God, when God created, he didn't make like, I don't know, a, a, a gym where everybody would work out to get really, you know, work really hard or some kind of factory. God made a garden, you can't really even do very much in a garden. You just kind of sit there and look at the nice stuff. And that's what God made. He said, here, enjoy this. This is what I want you to have, right, as a father. But he made a garden and he made us perfect. And yes, there's been the sin and the fall, but we can look at even sometimes the things that we desire to do naturally and see, well, there is a way to do this in a way that will honor God. As dads, right, there's natural desires we have that if we look at them through Scripture, we can see, okay, there's a way that I can actually carry out that desire in a way that blesses the Lord. For me, I don't know how things work at your guys' house, um, I like to grocery shop. I do a lot of the grocery shopping at the house. Why? Because, listen, it's, I live in a suburban house. I'm very far removed from primitive dad things. So grocery shopping is the closest I'm going to get to a hunter-gatherer existence. I will go out from the house. I will get the food. I will bring it to my people, right? That's how I feel. So you go out, right? And, and th- I learned this from my dad because my dad used to do this the exact same way. And we, we make fun of my dad and my mom about this all the time. We would say, okay, who's going grocery shopping? It's Saturday. That's going to be dad. Yes. Why? Because dad is going to bring back a bountiful grocery shopping. He's going to go out. He's going to get more stuff than we need for a month, right? And he's going to bring it all back. It's going to go on the table. We're going to be lunchtime. It's going to be good today. I'm going to pick from all the best stuff, right? And I, my dad used to enjoy doing that. Why? Because it's a, it's a good thing as a dad to say, look, I've provided all these things for you. It feels good. And that's okay. That's, it feels good because it is good. It's from the Lord that you're, you feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. 
Now think of that and say, okay, how can I do that in all these different areas of their life, right? Not just obviously groceries is fun, but what am I doing that in all these other different places and areas in their life? That is the attitude, I think, that the Lord wants us to have of providing bounty for the people that he's given us. And then once we've done that, right, the other part of this is we shoulder so much of the burden in the home that they are free to drink in everything they can of God and his glory and his creation. We take a disproportionate amount of those things so that they have more freedom, that they can enjoy more of these things than they ordinarily would be able to be. And I, I, because I'm a, a normal, natural man, I begin to say, well, what about me? How is it going to take care of me? Then we trust that the Lord is going to take care of us. We don't need to be relying or looking at other people. We say, okay, the Lord has got me. I'm going to cover this for the rest of everybody. That is the attitude that we have. And we know that this is how we should be acting because we can see this in how Jesus and God the Father has acted towards us, right? How much did Jesus sacrifice for us? Would he kind of go halfway and say, all right, now listen, I've done this, and now you're going to have to figure out the rest of this. No, of course not, right? Jesus sacrificed absolutely everything for us. He wasn't self-centered or lazy or frustrated with us, or he didn't protect himself, right? He absolutely went to the complete limit to give us the things that we needed to have. And now we just get to enjoy. Now that God the Father is like, hey, you're my kid. Cool. Check this out. Grace. Well, I got to earn that. Now stop that. Right? Here, and here's the Holy Spirit too. Now go enjoy that, right? That's the attitude that God the Father has towards us. Jesus allowed himself to be taken advantage of by people, right? Look at you read, like everybody shows up, they get a bunch of food, and they leave. <laughs> and the disciples even sometimes are like, dude, Lord, they're like, they're leaving and stuff. And Jesus is like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of how it works, right? Like he was just, he just enjoyed blessing people and he knew that there were going to be some people that were going to take a hold of that grace and, and, and be thankful for it. And there were going to be some people that weren't, but he didn't pick and choose ahead of time, which I think is amazing, right? The Lord could have, he knew what was going to happen, but he chose not to. And then ultimately, of course, Jesus literally died, you know, so that we could live. He put himself completely on the line doing things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that is a thing that we can learn of his dads. You know, we don't have the ability, as Jesus did, to die for our children's sins, you know what I mean? But we can do the best that we can to give ourselves to them so that they can experience God in the way that we want them to be able to. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Did Jesus wait around until like, we were providing him all these benefits and stuff? No, we, can't provide, we still can't provide Jesus any benefits. Right? He just, he just, out of his love, he said, well, this is what I want to do, and he did that for us. And that's who we want to be as fathers for our family. The best illustration I can think of, I genuinely can't remember if I've used this illustration before, so I apologize. You'll just have to buckle up and hear it again. Um, is, and I'm also not even going to apologize about my illustrations today, they're all masculine illustrations because it's Father's Day, so get with it. Um, best illustration I've always remembered in my life is from uh, the classic of, of American television, Band of Brothers, um, where there's a scene that's happening where there, there's, there's an American unit in World War II, and they've got this terrible leader who gets them trying to assault this town. He gets them pinned down. He's sending his guys out against, you know, emplaced machine guns. He doesn't know what he's doing. He gets trapped behind a haystack, and now he's just kind of freaking out and doesn't know what to do. And it gets so bad that the commander says, all right, this guy's done. He replaces him with this new guy. 
And Spears comes in, and Spears is a really good leader. He knows what he's doing. And what is the first thing you do? Does he get in, in set up, and he says, okay, now I want you to go over there, and I want you to do this, and I want you to take care of that? No. The first thing that he does is he runs through the entire enemy town to link up with a unit on the other side of the town himself, right? He doesn't say anybody do that. He runs through the whole town. And then, this is one of the best things in the whole series, they say, and the most incredible thing was he came back. Right? He didn't just, okay, I'm going to go over there, and then, okay, now come over here. Right? He said, no, I'm coming back. My guys are back over there. That's where I'm going. Right? And this is actually, this isn't just for Hollywood, because I remember I checked. I said, there's no way. So I went and read the book. No, that's actually what the guy did. That was in his heart to say, okay, well, if, if my guys are going to do this, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that they have what they need, and then I'll come back to lead them from the front the way that I should. Right? Remember the last time I told that story, I was at high school camp back in Lynchburg, and we were teaching a camp on biblical masculinity and femininity. And um, <laughs> that was a bunch of high school kids and me. So there's nobody in that room. You know, all of us, the scent of battle is like Doritos, right? Like, that's the closest we've ever gotten, right? <laughs> so this, this situation, we're pretty far removed from this. But I, I kind of tell this story, and all these little 15-year-old guys, their back goes straight up, right? And they're just looking at me like this, and their nostrils kind of flare. Why? Because it's in there. That's who God made you to be, right? And you know that. There's a part of us that knows that. We want to be able to do that in, in what, wherever, whatever little sphere the Lord's given us, even if it's just, you know, us, right? We want to do what's right, and we want to provide. It's kind of built into us, and that's a good thing. The, and what's amazing about that is God's commands, right? The way that God set up the world, the roles that God has given men and women, they bring life, Right? They don't bring death, and that's the problem now, is everybody sees this as all the negatives of it, and they say, oh, well, yeah, that's, that, you're, so you're the leader, right? Yeah, I'm the leader. What does that mean, that I'm the leader? That means that I'm the guy who runs through the town, and then I come back. I'm the first on the line. I'm the last off the line. I'm the last one to go to sleep. I'm the first one to wake up in the morning. If I'm doing it correctly, the way that Jesus would be a leader, that's what leadership is, right? And you guys say, oh, yeah, that's fine for you, but you don't understand with my situation, my family. Guys, listen. If you lead like that, there is not a good woman alive that will not follow you. There's a lot of bad women that will just be like impressed and kind of follow you too, right? I, it doesn't matter. Yes, I know situations can be different and difficult. But if you serve like Jesus served, people will follow you. And what's best is they'll follow you out of love. They won't follow you because, well, I guess I got... They'll, they'll be so blessed by what you're doing for them that they won't be able to help themselves but say, okay, what can I do? to help this person who's serving me in this way. That's the way Jesus served us. And that's why we love Jesus, right? Not because of, well, he's up here bossing us around. No, he, he's the one who went for us. So that is the way that we want to be leading and serving our families. God doesn't vary, right, his intensity of his love. So we're going to copy him, if we can, by going past where other people give up in his power. Right? That's the difficult thing, right? I can, tomorrow morning, I've just studied and taught this. I'll, I'll have a pretty great day, I think. Right? I'll be able to, even in my own power, I'll be like, all right, we're going to get this done. We're going to do that. But Tuesday is going to be hard because Tuesday is always hard. Amen. Tuesday is like, all right, well, now I'm out of energy, so now what? Right? But we don't need our own power. We need the Lord's intensity and the Lord's persistence to just continue doing these things. Like it says, it says that, you know, he, he doesn't vary, he doesn't, he doesn't change. We need to model God's steadiness of character, right? The world is not steady. 
the world's filled with outrage and indecision and fear, and that's how everybody acts, right? But that's not who we should be in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is changing us to be different, so we don't act like that. We try and stay focused on Jesus and say, okay, who is Jesus? Is Jesus changed since yesterday? Nope. Okay, then I'm just going to keep doing this, right? And we don't run around trying to always change what we're doing. We say, okay, but this is what Jesus gave me. I'm going to keep doing that. And we see in verse 18, this is what it took for Jesus to create a first fruits among his creatures of a new kind of thing, right? A redeemed person. He says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's one of those places in the New Testament where the guy who's writing kind of runs out of words and he says, I, it's like a kind of first fruits, you know? It's like where John's in Revelation is like, well, it sort of looked like, you know, it, it's hard to even explain what that, how amazing that is. But this is what Jesus has done. He's brought a new kind of thing into the world, saved people. And he chose to do it in this way, right? And that is why the family is important. The family isn't important because, oh, well, we got to have the family because why? Well, because family values. Well, okay, cool, right? Doesn't mean, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me if that's all it is. If, oh, family values are important. Well, why? Well, the family is important because you don't understand. Traditional Western society, well, okay, but I'm not... Right? I'm not ready to die for traditional Western society. <laughs> That's not what Jesus has given me, right? No, no. The family is important to us because it's the primary ground from which God is going to harvest his finest creation, his word says, new men and new women who are filled with the Holy Spirit and walk with Jesus. It's not the only place, right? Plenty of us got saved just out on our own, but it's one of the main places where the Lord does that work. That's why the family is important. It's because Jesus has work to do that he wants to do through the family. Really, the other reasons are good, they're nice, right? But they're not the perfect gift. And the perfect gift is that we want to continue on in this work by creating in our families the first fruits of Jesus' kingdom, providing a place where Jesus can do a work in our families' lives that he wants to do. And that's going to take all these things that we see in, in Jesus and in God our Father, single-mindedness and humility and willingness to suffer. Now, if you're like me, I'm not super single-minded all the time. I'm often a little bit lazy, and I don't like to suffer very much. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to do that, right? That's going to have to be the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. So what I'm calling us to today is that we take all of the things that we have, whatever it is, right? It might not be very much. But we take all of, those, all of that energy and grit and ambition and all the skills we have that God gives you that we put into these other areas of our lives, right? We take all that, we put it in a pile, we kind of bank that fire down so it's just going to keep slow burning like you're barbecuing, right? You don't, because it's easy to stoke that fire up, right? And you'll be gone in, in a couple, couple days, couple weeks. We're just going to keep that thing on slow. And we're going to go in the same direction of spending ourselves for our families for the next 70 years or 50 years or 10 years or however much we have left until Jesus comes or we're done. That is why, this is a side note, by the way, but it's an important side note. This is why I believe earnestly from the scripture that God does not have the roles in the family to be the same or equal in the way that they are. And, and when people hear that, we, the word equality is funny in our society. And, and so we say, well, what do you mean they're not equal? Here's what I mean. The man's part in the family, the father's part in the family is not fair. It's not equitable. We're the one who dies. That's, that's the role. Right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And if we do that correctly... Yeah, there's other things, then it's not fair, right? Oh, our wife has to do this and she has to do that. That's correct. But if we're sacrificing ourselves first, then we're obeying the Lord and the Lord is going to bless that. 
That is the, that is the way. And when you do that, right, people look at that and they say, oh, well, I thought you meant, right? Because when people hear not fair, they say, right, so you're just going to boss this person around. You're the leader. In the kingdom, leader is different. <laughs> it's not the same as out in the world. Jesus says, if you're leading the way the Gentiles lead, they're out there bossing people around. They're being on top. Jesus says, that's not how I lead, right? That's not how Jesus led us. So no, it's not fair. That's okay. That's what Jesus did, right? Mark 10, you guys know that one, so I won't give it to you, but like we just said, Jesus says, it's not going to be so among you. You know, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever will be first must be slave of all, right? Jesus came and he deserved to be served and didn't take that, right? Instead, he gave of himself for us. And yes, if we try and do this in our flesh, we're going to become bitter and tired and angry real quick, right? Because we're going to start, the enemy is going to start whispering to you and saying, well, that doesn't seem fair. And you're like, you know what? That isn't fair, right? Why do I have to do all these things? You get, you're going to get upset really quickly. We have to have the Spirit burning in our hearts to be able to do this kind of thing for even one day. That's the way we want to be serving Jesus, right? Not, we're not saving anything. We're saying, okay, that's all that I've got. <laughs> so hopefully the Holy Spirit is filling me so that I can do that tomorrow because I have expended all of my possible energy today, right? That's the way that we want to serve. And anyway, I mean, what are, what are we... What are we saving ourselves for? Well, I don't want to burn out. And, okay, cool. I, yeah, I get that. But we're, like, and Tyler has taught this before, so I won't harp on it. We're pretty obsessed with burning out as a culture. Um, I, the apostles' retirement packages were all pretty bad. <laughs> they mostly died, <laughs> right? Except for John, and, and he just d- died on an island peacefully, right? Like, that's, that was the end of that job, right? They, they all burned out. But that was a good thing. We, pour our, we want to pour ourselves out with the intensity that we have to be going back. We're desperate to be going back to Jesus' grace and his riches just so we can kind of make it to the next day. That is the calling that we have from the Lord. All right. That's supposed to be encouraging. The ladies are like, oh, that's all sad. No, no, the guys are all excited because every once in a while we need somebody to get all in our face a little bit. It's fun for us. Trust me. All right. Now, but that's all good. That's all good for up here, right? But what is that going to look like in our lives? Practically, right? And this is what's cool about James. James is very practical. So practically, what would we do to carry that out in our families? And now James is going to give us some very practical instruction. If this is the heart that we have, where we're ready to just completely do whatever it is that it takes to provide the things that God wants to give to our families, here's what that would actually begin to look like then in practical steps that we would take. So starting from uh, verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right? So again, James is pretty, hits, he just hits the nail on the head, right? He's a construction worker. He's like, well, here's the thing you shouldn't do. <laughs> and he says them in ways, right, that are, what I love is James could be pretty intense, but he does say them in an encouraging way. He said, hey, be quick to hear, be slow to speak. He doesn't say, hey, stop being angry. He says, look, here's what you should do. At least he lays it out in a positive way. It's clear from the word that our anger is not going to achieve the good things that we want for our family, right? So we just saw, okay, here's all these wonderful things that any person would look at and say, yes, that's what I want for my family. Well, how are we going to accomplish that? Well, our anger isn't going to do it. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I don't think I had ever noticed that phrase when I was studying. I was like, look at that, a cool spirit. That's interesting, right? In other words, he's not a hot spirit, not constantly just like, no matter what happens, he's kind of lashing out immediately. But he's just kind of, okay, here we are. That's what happened. 
Let's see what we're going to do about it, right? <laughs> Which is a difficult thing to cultivate. The Lord has to do that in our spirit. We know from the Word that God is doing a work in our family. Praise the Lord, it's not just me, right? <laughs> and He's doing it by His Holy Spirit. And He has said that He's not going to complete these things in the flesh. So, we can trust God to finish that work. And that's honestly, in my life, that's what it comes down to. When I get irritated or I get upset, it's because I feel like I have to take control of the situation and fix it now because I don't trust that the Lord is actually going to fix it, right? So, well, somebody's got to fix this. Look at this mess, right? That's kind of the heart that I'm in. We need to allow the Holy Spirit room to convict and to train our children. We need to teach them to be able to hear His voice, not just our voice, right? It's very easy for me to say, well, this is the things that need to be fixed, and I am the dad, therefore, <laughs> let me lay down the law here, right? But down the road, long term, they're going to leave my house, and I'm not going to be there telling them this, this, and that. I need them to be hearing from the Holy Spirit to hear, oh, well, this is, you know, yes, this is what dad told me to do, and I try and follow that, but this is what the Holy Spirit's telling me to do right now. So sometimes that means I have to do things in a very less efficient way. I have to let the Holy Spirit get a hold of their heart, and that takes longer, and it's a little frustrating for me because I don't have control over it but it's better in the long run because I'm providing them the good gift of that they'll know the voice of the Lord, which is better than them knowing my voice, right? I mess up. <laughs> Sometimes I tell them dumb things to do, and then they come to me and they say, Dad, actually, and they give me this little bit of information. I say, oh, okay, well, never mind what I just said, right? The Holy Spirit never does that. An example, unfortunately, man, I wish there were better examples in the Bible of dads. It's, it's almost all bad examples. <laughs> we have God the Father, and then the rest of it is not great. Uh, so praise the Lord, we have, you know, the Lord's example. But a uh, not-so-great example that you see is Eli. Sorry, Eli. Um, in the Old Testament, right, where he's a priest, and he has a family who's serving with them. And the, his sons are way out of line. I mean, they're doing all this awful stuff in the temple, and it's becoming a problem where people are looking at it and saying, I'm not even going to go to the temple because look at these guys, right? And give Eli some credit. He sees what's going on. He's not out of it. He's like, oh, that's wrong. And he gets upset. And he goes and he rebukes his son. He says, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this, right? But it says that they did not pay any attention to their father because the Lord had decided he was going to go ahead and judge them. Which kind of makes me wonder, and this isn't in Scripture, I'm just supposing, but it kind of makes me wonder, I kind of doubt this was the first time that Eli had said this. I kind of feel like Eli had brought this to them over and over but they couldn't hear his voice anymore because they'd heard his voice on that matter a lot, right? So I, we can't rely just on our instruction or our, you know, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that. Because at some point, a, a child's sinful heart just starts to tune that out, right? We have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make change. And unfortunately, in that situation, it had gotten past the point where they were going to listen to their dad anymore, right? They're full-grown guys. They're doing all this awful stuff. And they just, yeah, okay, I know dad's upset, but we're just going to go ahead and ride that out. Thankfully, right, our perfect Father, when we bring our sin to the Lord, and this is, you know, we're always afraid this is going to happen, right? You're like, oh, I don't want to pray about that. I don't want to go to church on Sunday. Why? Well, because there's going to be prayer. Okay, well, what's the matter with that? Well, then I'm going to have to pray about that thing, right? We're always afraid, right? But then we bring our sin to the Lord, and what happens? When you, when you really have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, is it ever a voice that's like, now listen, it's been a long time, and I'm upset, right? <laughs> is that how the Lord sounds? No, of course not. The Lord's voice is never irritated or inconvenienced by our sin or surprised by our sin. I always love that. Sometimes I'm like, okay, Lord, I got to tell you this thing. And the Lord's just like, right, yes. <laughs> and, you know, like the Lord knows what's going on. He loves us and he gives us his grace, which we need because of who we are, right? And he knows that. And he says, okay, yep, I know. I knew that. I knew that was coming. I prepared this grace for you anyway. That's his heart and his attitude for us. And we need to ask for his grace to do the same thing 
with our kids. We want to make sure that we're modeling God's heart for them, right? So, Because in a lot of ways, we're the first experience that they have of who the Lord is, right? Especially when they're really little. Later on, you can help them to create some separation. Nori's already at the age where I can say, now listen, sweetheart, I just messed up and that's not who Jesus is, right? But when they're real little, it all is all together in there, you know? And we want to make sure that we're representing Jesus in a way that is correct for them to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. Going on to verse 21 here. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, what is he saying? The obvious thing, and he will continue talking about this through the book of James, he says, listen, obviously, you're not going to be able to do this if you're the one bringing the filthiness and rampant wickedness into the home, right? I think we know that. But it's an important thing just to mention, hey, if you're trying to be the one there giving good gifts, you're a river of good things to your people, well, don't be also bringing in this other whole stream of mess into the house as well, right? That's, it should be obvious to us. But, he then says, okay, so if you're not doing that, you're going to receive with meekness the implanted word. We're the person in our home who begins to set the pattern and the spiritual tone for the family as doers of God's word. Now, obviously, this is not to like, but it's dad. You guys know this. It's Father's Day, okay? So we're going to talk about dads. But yes, in, in, yes, the, the mother is just as important in that process, right? And in some ways, I'm at work, so I only spend a limited amount of time with the kids, and Sarah is there so much more than me in a lot of ways if you just looked at it by time. So she has this huge role in spiritually training them and everything. That's correct. But if you're going to claim the place of leader, then you need to be the one setting the tone, right? That's, that's on you. And we can't hold our family to a standard that they don't see us holding ourselves to. Right? That's the, in fact, I think sometimes that's where the best spiritual training and the best instruction comes from. It's not necessarily the things that I say. Just like for my dad, it wasn't necessarily the things that my dad said. It was the things that I saw him do that made the biggest like, impact on me. Right? More spiritual fruit comes from the things that they see us doing than the things that we lecture on. I can remember a ton of different things where I would, I would be at work with my dad. i see something. I'd say, oh, wow, look at how he did that. That's, you know, I'd kind of learn. Or I'd see my dad get angry and then how he dealt with it. I'd say, okay, that, you know, I can remember those situations vividly. I don't really remember the lectures I got. <laughs> I don't really remember when I got grounded or what. Like, I just, uh, you know, it kind of goes through. You don't remember. Praise the Lord. That's probably good for everybody involved. So we don't want to allow our kids to see us disregarding God's word, not doing the things that we hear, or, and, and I want to put it this way, because listen, they're going to see that happen, right? Because we're not perfect and we need God's grace. So one of the best ways we can teach them is when that happens, let's put it that way, we want them to see us repent and go to the Lord for grace if we expect them to listen to our correction, right? Those are some of the biggest lessons I ever learned was when I'd see my dad totally mess up. And I would say, oh, oh. How's dad going to handle that? Because we all saw that, right? Yep. Do we ever see that, right? And then to see how he would deal with that, how he'd apologize to the people involved or to us or whatever. That was a big lesson for us. Oh, dad's not above. It's not like there's two rules in the house. Dad's applying the same rule that he's going to apply to us to himself. And that's really, really important. They're going to learn how to repent from you because they're going to see you do the wrong thing. But it builds such an awesome work of grace especially when you have to apologize to your kids, which is a real bummer. Let's just not pretend. It's not fun, right? So a great big dose of humility when you mess up and then you've done the wrong thing and everybody knows and you're going to have to go and apologize to a person that God has given you to be helping and in charge of and leading, right? But that's why it's so important. And again, not a fantastic example, 
But you see David in the scripture, he had his sons start to do the exact things that they had seen their dad do, right? We kind of can't miss that, right? Is when David's sons start to go out and they're doing all these awful things with women and they're taking hold of this thing that I just want because I want it. And that would, they'd watch their dad do that. Right? They'd watch their dad bring all these women into the house and now he has all these wives, right? They'd watch their dad do all this stuff. And David even recognized that. He said, well, this is what the Lord told me was going to happen. I sinned in this way and now my sons are sinning in that way. But that doesn't have to be how it has to be, right? We can repent before our children so that they see, oh, Dad did that thing. Now, not only do I not want to do that thing, but if I do, I want to repent in this way. In the same way that he did. How about a good example? Jesus always listened to his Father's perfect will. Right? And he even would say, people would say, hey, why don't you do this? And Jesus said, well, because the Father didn't tell me that that's what we're going to do right now. He was praying. He could have just gone and done what He was God. Right? Did he need to? No, but he chose to submit himself to his Father and say, well, I'm going to do the things that the Father tells me to do. And we can do the same thing. We can give to our children the things that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And praise the Lord, that's always a better thing to do anyway. Sometimes I'll have to tell my kids, listen, I'm not telling you to do this thing because I'm a mean person or because I woke up this morning feeling like that. I'm telling you because this is what I've read in, in the Bible <laughs> that we're supposed to do, right? And it's okay. We can do that. We can say, hey, I'm, Dad is hearing this from the Lord. <laughs> this is, I prayed about this and I decided we're going to go this way. So, you know, it's okay to kind of send that back upstairs to the Lord and, and, and let them know that you're not just coming up with this stuff on your own. In fact, it's kind of important. Hebrews 5.8, talking about Jesus. And this is an amazing chapter all about him. But it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And that is also true for us as dads. A lot of times when they see us suffering, when they see us struggling, when they see us even struggling sometimes with the Lord's commands, if we walk that out in a way that we're humble and we choose to be doers of the word and not just hearers, they recognize that. And of course, I know the opposite is true, but we all know, right? Don't be a hypocrite in front of your kids. They will know. Of course they will. They're around you all the time, right? So they're going to see if you're doing one thing for everybody else in the, in the world and you come home and you're doing something else. Of course they're going to recognize that. And uh, that can be not great for them, right? It can cause struggles for them as they're seeing, well, you're saying that this is what I'm supposed to do out there. So of course we don't want to do that. We want to be representing the Lord to them well. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. So, how are we going to, okay, that's great instruction, right? Good. I, I know I'm not supposed to be a hypocrite. I'm not supposed to be angry. I already knew that, right? I don't think any of us were confused whether it's a good idea to be an angry hypocrite in our houses. I think we all knew that coming in here today, right? So now how am I supposed to do that, right? Well, it says the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, will be blessed in his doing. We have to persist in presenting the Lord's grace and his love to our families. It's a good, right? And this is exactly what it said at the beginning. There's a lot of good gifts that any dad should give his family. Doesn't, they don't always, but this is what a dad should do, right? Yes, as a dad, you should be providing food and shelter and education and entertainment and all the, just all the good gifts of life you should be providing. But I would say probably more important than that, we need to pursue and cultivate God's word and his grace so that the Lord can receive that crop in the hearts of our children. And that means it's okay 
And I love that it says perseveres in the perfect law, the law of liberty, right? It is okay to be aggressive, gentlemen, in spiritual things. But we can, it's all, and I think sometimes we get a little bound up about that. I do, is that we look at the, that we say, okay, yes, this is, I, how do you handle a business thing? Well, I'm going to find out the problem. I'm going to make a list of stuff that I'm going to do. I'm going to check off that list one after the other. I'm going to stay up late. I'm just going to tackle it, and then it's going to get done. Well, how are we going to handle, you know, spiritual things in the life of our kids? Well, I mean, it just seems like it would be fleshly to kind of, make a list. So I'll just kind of wait until I, no, 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 it's okay. Right. You, you're allowed to take that same amount of energy and effort and diligence and detail orientation that you apply to everything else and apply that to things in your family's life that you see the Lord needs to do. Right. And no, you don't do them in the flesh, but you're okay to take all those gifts that the Lord's given you that you're using in every other area of your life and say, well, here's a chart that I've made, <laughs> right. Or here's some tools that I've found that will help us. Or here's this schedule that I've figured out, right. That's all right. Those are tools. You don't have to be legalistic about them, but it's okay to have those tools. Those can be a huge benefit to you going out and finding out, well, how are some other people doing this and, and getting some resources and some, some help with it. It's okay to default to aggression in these things. It's good that your kids see that you apply that amount of effort to the things of the Lord because they're going to pattern. They're going to model yourselves after them. I say this not to, I, I'm saying this as a confession that it does not take very much effort to do this, Right? Just the last couple days, I've started getting back to a routine that I had neglected of trying to pray a little bit before in my office before work. And one day, Nora popped the door open, and there I am. I'm praying in my office before work. She says, what you doing, Dad? I said, well, I'm praying in my office before work. You caught me on a good day. And she says, oh, okay. Well, can I pray in your office before work? I said, yeah, of course you can pray in my office before work, right? So then what happens? Well, I did it that day. The next day, I had a, I had a just awful start to the day. I'm way late. And in my office, the door blusts open. And Nora goes, so are we praying in your office before work? And I was like, no, we're late. And we're, yeah, no, we're praying in my office. Right? Of course, we're praying in my office before work, right? She's now seeing, well, this is what's important to dad, even when it's not as important to me as it should be. And now she's taking that up and saying, well, this is what dad does. I'm going to do that, right? So it's good that your kids will help push you forward in this, which is nice, because sometimes we need those things. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I think this is one of the biggest needs that your family might have is you sometimes have to be the one because there will be people, and I don't want to get on a hobby horse, but there will be people coming into your family saying, well, why isn't your family doing it this way? And it can be any number of things, right? Be, be more loose on this. Be more tight on that. Do it like this. It's okay for you as the dad to say, well, this is how Make sure you've prayed first so you know that this is how the Lord's revealed to you. But then you say, hey, this is how I have heard from the Lord that my family will do these things. And I'm not going to submit them to someone else's yoke of slavery just because someone else thinks it's important. This is how we're going to handle this in my family. I give them this liberty because this is the grace that the Lord has given me, right? And man, that'll be awesome for your kids. That's the best, right? You ever had one time where your dad went to bat for you, right? Especially if like you actually messed up, that's fun. But if you didn't mess up and you knew it, but you didn't know what, like, you're in a situation, this person's in authority and dad comes in, he's like, now listen, here's how this is going to go. That, there's nothing that feels better in your life than your dad being like, oh, oh dad's going to bring the pain. Like, here we go, right? That feels awesome. That's such a wonderful thing. Why? Because your dad's out there fighting for you. And that's exactly what we see the Lord do, right? Does the Lord, you know, okay, I saved them, but now, the, now Satan said that they had just messed up. So I guess maybe that's true. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus says, excuse me, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then he lays out the truth, right? And that's how we want to be for our kids. We don't allow them to get caught up in guilt or in shame over their sin or in any other thing. And we want to give them liberty in every area we possibly can so that they can see God's love and grace, right? 
And that'll change with your individual kid and with where they're at with the Lord. And you, it's no, there's no rule for this. You have to be in prayer. But we want to default towards, okay, how can I make a little space where they can try God's grace out and, and experience it and see how it works, where they can hear from the Holy Spirit, where they can make a decision over here. Oh, they made a bad decision. Yeah, okay. But look, you're there. You're, you're protecting them. You're, you're keeping it. So then they're going to learn how to make that decision the next time, right? We're kind of building this little a bubble in a good way, right? So that they can be learning how to walk with the Lord. Now, so we look at all these things and we say, just like it says in the Word, who is sufficient for these things? Well, of course, none of us are sufficient for these things, right? But God is able to do all these things. God's already purchased for us the whole righteousness of Jesus to enable us to do this. Right now, any of us who are dads, we are able to do this in Jesus Christ. I guarantee it. Because we're so great? No, because Jesus has staked his reputation on this, right? He'd better come through because he said that's exactly what he's going to do. So, young guys, if you're looking at this, and maybe this is something that's in your future, you're not there yet, and you're saying, man, that seems super hard. I would love to tell you otherwise, but it is super hard. But that's okay. God is able to do this. God can accomplish his vision for your family. In fact, he's going to. And all you've got to do is just kind of get out of the way, right? Don't, don't make a mess. If we love him with everything and we trust in his grace, he's going to be able to keep you. And I know that sometimes it's discouraging because some of us have grown up in a church environment or in a family environment where we've seen people mess this up really bad. And we've seen the impacts of what that looks like. And that can scare us to say, well, who can, nobody can do that apparently. No, no, Jesus can do that. Right? Jesus is able to keep you as a faithful dad for as long as it takes. He can do that if you trust him. And old men, who we don't have. So middle-aged men, they're in the church, right? Um, hey, who told you you could quit on me? Right? Well, my kids are out of the house. Yeah, but there's all of us that need you here. Right? This doesn't, it's, trust me, as a young guy trying to figure this out, I've been calling my dad all the time. I've been calling you guys and talking to you, right? We need you guys just as much because you guys have already done this. Well, I didn't do a good job. Okay, let me know where the landmines are, right? Tell me, hey, just don't do that because I tried that, right? That's just as vitally important to the church is both generations of fathers, the ones who are just getting into the mess and the ones who just got past it. And so now they finally look around and they say, oh, I can now recognize the things that happened, right? That's vital to our church. We need both of these things, both the ones who are starting and the ones to finish well. And God uses that all the time, right? That's just how it works that way. The Bible talks about it specifically with the older women talking to the younger women. It's the same way with, with guys. That's why we have been doing our guys events, which have been awesome, right? Because we just get a bunch of time to talk about stuff. And so naturally, you just talk about life, which is good. And you start saying, well, what's going on? Well, you know, this and that. And somebody gives you advice and he says, well, here's a thing you could pray about. And it's like a huge blessing. You're not supposed to do this stuff all on your own. And I'll, I'll go ahead and mention too, because just in closing, because it's really important. For those of us who can look back on our time as dads and we feel like we have failed or made mistakes, or for those of us who are looking at what we're currently doing and we recognize that we are currently failing, right? And maybe for some of us whose dad isn't a part of your life and that makes Father's Day a difficult time or you're part of a broken family, the prescription that God has for that is the church, right? Look around you. We have plenty here for you. Right? We've got an abundance in the families in this church. We've got enough to cover you too. You're going to be okay. Right? And that's why God has the church. It's not just, well, here's a bunch of individual, it's very American, here's a bunch of individual family units. I hope each of them makes it. 
No, no, no. It's like, hey, he's doing awesome and I'm doing terrible, so maybe I can borrow some stuff for a minute, right? And that's exactly how it works. And then later on, there's going to be another man who needs something from you and the Lord is going to fill you with exactly what you need to provide that for him, right? God is very smart in the way that he's designed the church. He's given us abundant gifts for everything that we need.